All right, we're going to continue on with our Tough as Nails series. Um, I've really been enjoying kind of sharing these things with you. I, I always enjoy when we actually take some, some time and really um, look at some of these attributes of Jesus. And, and really what we've been talking about is the attributes of Jesus. Jesus was as tough as nails. He experienced things that are just absolutely mind-blowing when you begin to think about it. And he succeeded. He had the victory. He was able to get through it. And because of, of the things that he has shown us, because he was tough enough, we can be tough enough. I love the scripture. We talked about it where it says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. The same power, the same strength, the same toughness that was in Jesus that literally spoke to something dead and brought it to life lives and dwells in you and I. And because of that, we can handle this. So no matter what situation we find ourselves, no matter how difficult the season may be, we've been saying this every week, if no matter how hard it gets, if you have Jesus, you're tough enough. If you have Jesus, you're tough enough to handle whatever. Now, on our own, you're not tough enough. If you try to handle it your own way, I promise you, you probably won't handle it very well. At least I know I usually don't. But when we turn to him, when we learn from him and experience those things and see the attributes that Jesus had, those things can come and really help us a lot. The one we're going to be talking about this morning, we've over the last several weeks, we've kind of focused on one word or one attribute of Jesus and kind of looked at that. This is one of those that, that is, is a lot easier when things are going well, to be honest with you. This is one of those that, that I do fairly well when everything's going great. When everything's happy-go-lucky and I'm singing kumbaya and all that sort of stuff, everything's awesome. Well, these are easier then. But remember, this is about times in our lives when things are hard. And I think if you're honest, as I am sometimes with these things, it's more difficult to do this when things are difficult and hard. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Here's the first thing. When the going gets tough, the tough learn to believe. The tough learn to believe. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time and this moment. God, I pray that you would just speak through me the things that you desire. Father, I do believe very strongly from things that you've spoken to me this week and even as the service has gone this morning that this is a very timely word. This is something that is definitely for some individuals that are here today, uh, if not for all of us, obviously, but for some specific areas. And Father, I pray that you would illuminate those things to us. You would show us those things and help us, Father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this idea of faith, this idea of trust, this idea of belief is something, again, it's very easy when things are going well. Because what we tend to do is we think we kind of know better, we kind of know best. It's, it's kind of like, it, it, we're kind of one of those things that we like that control and we like to know things. We, we kind of want what we want when we want it. I remember there was a story I heard once about a little girl and, and she was at the supermarket. Now this may age me just a little bit, but I don't think crazy age me. But when I was a kid, you would go to the supermarket or go to the grocery store and before you'd leave, there would be these little, little contraptions by the front door. You know what I'm talking about? And they would have uh, gum in them or a little toy or whatever. And, and basically when I was a kid, you could still find like a, a nickel ones that you could get, you know, bubble gum out of, but the really good ones, you know, where you got like the, the football helmet and the little egg thing bobber, you know, those costed a quarter. And so this little girl, she, she's waiting for her dad who's, who's checking out at the counter. And so she goes to this and she sees all these things. And oh, they have this beautiful, beautiful plastic necklace. 
in one of these things, and it costs a quarter. And oh, she's just dreaming about how beautiful she would look if she just had this plastic necklace. And so she runs to her father and says, Daddy, 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 can I have a quarter? Oh, Daddy, please, can I have a quarter? Daddy, I have to have a quarter. And her father is kind of in a good mood, and so he reaches down in his pocket, and he, he doesn't have a quarter. You know, he doesn't. Maybe he has a nickel or some pennies or some change, but he doesn't have a quarter. And so he thinks, you know, I'm going to have a little fun with my daughter here. You know, he's like, this is going to be good. So he goes, well, honey, listen, I don't have a quarter, but he reaches into his billfold and he opens it up and he says, how about a $20 bill? And the little, he's, he's expecting the little girl to, oh, I have the best daddy ever. And guess what happens? The little girl busts into tears. Daddy, I want a quarter. You don't love me because I don't have a quarter. And she has an absolute fit in that situation. Now, what's interesting about that is we sit there as adults and we go, what is this kid thinking? I'd rather have $20 than a quarter. Who wants a quarter? But guys, sometimes spiritually with our Heavenly Father, we tend to do that when it comes to belief. We have this idea, we want what we want, when we want it. We have our plans, we have our desires, we have these things that we believe God, we want to do. And we go to God and we go, God, I want my quarter. God, I got to have my quarter, especially when things aren't going the way we think they should. The timing is right or, or, or things aren't happening the way we think they ought to go down. And so we sit there, we beg God, God, give me my quarter. I got to have my quarter. And our Father, who loves us so stinking much... And has such amazing plans for us. Say, listen, son. Listen, daughter. I don't have a quarter for you. I have a $20 bill and it's yours. I have it. And we cry and we go, no, God. I wanted a quarter. A lot of times we're in those moments of hard moments in our lives. Where that kid who's crying, not quite understanding what our father is really offering us. And to have that, to understand that, we have to have a level of belief and a level of trust and a level of understanding that quite honestly, some of us, and myself included at times, are lacking because we think we have all the answers. We know what's best. What's interesting is Jesus didn't do that. So many times, Jesus doesn't say, I want this and this is going to happen. Jesus in his life continually said, not my will, but God's be done. And it showed itself in everything he did, everything he said. And it's interesting that at the end of his life, right before he's crucified, as he's being crucified, we see something very interesting. Look at Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, verse 41, Jesus is hanging on the cross right now for you and me. And this is what happens. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Now look at verse 33. Or 30, 43, excuse me. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who was crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now I want you to think about this moment. 
What could Jesus had literally done with just a thought? Come down off that cross, but he doesn't. He trusts that God has a greater plan. He trusts and believes that even in that moment of pain, even in that moment of difficulty, God has something greater in store for him to work through him. Basically, what he's trusting God for, if you think about it, is he's trusting God for the impossible. Something great, something life-changing, not just for him, but for everyone. And it's interesting to me that even his enemies, even the people that put him on that cross in some way, shape, or form, notice something. They say, he trusts in God. Listen, I would love for every one of us to have that said about us, that no matter how difficult or how impossible the situation is, that people, when they see us, when they come in contact with us, they make the statement, listen, this person trusts God even for the impossible, even for the hard. Let's look at Proverbs 3. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, there's a verse that we, we, most of us know, we've heard before, and this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I've heard that verse for a really long time. And, and it's so beautiful and it's so important. But I'll be quite honest with you. I don't always know how to do that. I don't always know how I'm supposed to get to that place of belief. I know that we need faith. I know that we need trust. I know that we need belief. But there are times where I find it so hard to actually do it. This morning, what I want us to do and what I think God was leading us to do is, is God doesn't... listen. This is so, I love this about God. God doesn't say, listen, I want you to trust me with all your heart. Now I'll see you in about three weeks and we'll see how you did. God says, I want this for you. Now if you'll let me, I'll hold your hand and we'll walk through this together. I will show you how Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 can actually be a reality in your life. And what I've found as I've looked at these things and I've looked at stories in Scripture and looked at situations, God tends to not do it the same way every time, but he does tend to sometimes have a little bit of mode of operation when it comes to trust, when it comes to these things. And this morning we want to talk about that because I believe this, and this is in your notes, I want you to get this. I believe that God develops us through powerful questions. Powerful questions that dare us to believe him in the face of impossible situations. There is so many times, and we're going to look at this in just a moment, of one major one together. But there's so many times where, where God looks at people and he's asking them to believe for something that just seems absolutely impossible. And he doesn't just say, believe it. He doesn't just smack them over the head and say, if you don't, there's something wrong with you. He asks them a question that takes them on a journey to help them to get to that place of deep belief and deep understanding and, and when we're facing those hard things. And listen, here's, here's the bottom line. I believe that God asks us questions for two reasons. For two simple reasons that we need to understand. Number one, it is to decrease our faith in ourselves. It is to decrease our faith in ourselves and simply it's to increase our faith in Him. There's so many times, even when Jesus would talk, where he would, he would be confronted by the Pharisees or by the scribes, and he would just ask them a question, and they would just sit there and go, oh man, 
There are times where they wait, if I answer it this way, I'm in trouble here. If I answer it that way, there's this question here. There are times where they just didn't even answer. But God uses these things to help us get to that place. To help us get to that place where we don't lean on our own understanding. But instead, we acknowledge Him and know that He can do these things if He has promised them to us, no matter what we face, no matter what we go through. As we kind of look at this, I want to talk about one story that, that, that we may know, but, but I think it's a perfect one when it comes to this idea and it shows it. And I want to look at a story when God basically asks someone a question and, he, and draws them to a higher level of belief. Where God asks him a question. We're going to be in Genesis 12. We're going to look at a story of, of Abraham and, and his wife Sarah. And, and kind of a story that kind of brings this all out. Now we're going to be, I'm going to kind of paraphrase some things. But we're basically beginning in Genesis 12 and going through basically about chapter 17 or 18 or so. So we're going to kind of go through this quickly. But I want us to kind of look at this together and kind of see how God begins to do something where, where it's difficult, it's hard, but yet God is leveling us up in our faith. So we're going to start with Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, 1 through 2, this is what it says. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, this is before obviously his name is changed, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, as we hear that verse, boy, that's awesome. That's great. But we got to understand what the context is. You see, because if God was speaking this to a husband and a wife who are maybe in their mid-20s, that's something pretty cool, but it's something obtainable. But God speaks this to Abraham and into an extent Sarah when Abraham is 75 years old and Sarah is 65. Look, I don't have a medical degree. I, I can barely put a Band-Aid on myself when I cut myself. But I got a feeling I understand that's a little bit on the impossible side to an extent. Maybe it's not impossible, but it's very improbable. I don't know. But in this moment, we see something pretty amazing. God is promising Abraham and Sarah a family that is literally going to bless the world. That is He's going to be the father of nations. There's just a problem. He doesn't have any kids. And he's old. He's old. This seems somewhat impossible. This seems to be improbable. This seems to be, wait a minute, God, how are you going to do this? This is in your notes. I want you to, to catch this. The timing of God's promises in our lives is often a divine setup that forces us to believe him for the impossible. Listen, it takes zero faith to have something that God promises you that you can accomplish on your own. That's, that's easy. If you said to me, Aaron, I want you to have the faith that you have the ability to sit on this stool, guess how much faith it's going to take for me to do that? Very, very little. But if you said, Aaron, I want you to have the faith that basically you can look at that school, command it in the name of Jesus for fire to come down from heaven and consume it without burning the church down, okay? That's going to take a little more faith. Sometimes God works in the timing of things so that we will trust him more. It would not have taken as nearly as much faith and belief and trust if Abraham and Sarah were actually at the age where this was possible. But for them, it was 
impossible. They could not figure out what to do. So let's continue on. Look at Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, 5 and 6, we see this happen again. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him, counted him as righteous because of his faith. So once again, this promise comes forth. He says, he takes it one step further. He says, I want you to look outside see the stars listen that's a great promise if he's sitting there with a son but he still has no son and oh by the way by now this is 10 years after the first promise so now he's 85 and Sarah's 75 but he still believes he still trusts and God looks at him and counts it as righteousness. He doesn't believe that he has the authority or the power to do it. He believes that God does. So many times in these moments of belief, we have to stop understanding that it's not about what you can do or what I can do. It's about what God can do. But unfortunately, that can sometimes be difficult. Because in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah honestly make a mistake. They kind of get tired of waiting. They kind of get tired of, of all these things. And so quite honestly, Sarah and Abraham come up with this plan to help God out. To basically, listen, God, you're not delivering. God, you're not doing what you promised. So you know what, God, I'm going to step in here and I'm going to help. And basically, long story short, Sarah gives to Abraham um, her, her, her servant woman. And, and basically, he has a son. And that son is named Ishmael. And, and I'm not going to get into all the problems that has caused over the centuries. But trust me, it's not good. It's not good. And they begin to think, you know what, God, I can help. I can, I can, I can make this work. And, and look what happens in Genesis 17. After all this has happened, God comes again. And listen to what he says. God also says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Now listen to what he says. Remember, this is after Ishmael. This is after their plan to make the impossible happen. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. And God takes it one step further. I will bless her so that she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Let's continue. Abram, Abraham now fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man? Guess what? A hundred years old. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And listen, this is important. You catch verse 18. This is what can be an absolute destroyer of faith and trust in God. Okay, look what he says. Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Now think about the context. What has just happened? God has spoken to Abraham. He has been very clear. He said, listen, it isn't going to be Ishmael. It isn't going to be Hagar. It is going to be Sarah. In fact, I'm changing her name so that you get this. So every time you look at her and don't call her the old name, you call her Sarah, you're going to understand this promise. It's going to come from her. It's not going to come from your plans or your ability to make it happen. It's going to come from me. And he said, it's going to come 
from her. And Abraham just cannot comprehend it anymore. He's just like, you know what, God? I, I, my plan, I, I've, I've made his plan. It's going to work. This will be fine. Even after the promise, even after all these things, Abraham basically just says, you know what, God? It would just be so much easier if you just got in tune with my plan instead of me trying to get in tune with yours. How many times have we done that in those difficult situations? We have come up with the answer. And so we begin to work in that answer. And God goes, no, no, no. I'm not going to do what I want to do through what you can do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do through what I can do. Something that you can't do. You see, here's the thing. If we're going to live by faith, then we must resist the temptation to offer our creative solutions to problems that only God can solve. That's what they did. They said, God, since you can't handle it, listen, this, let's be honest, this is what they basically said. God, since you failed, we'll fix it. Can I help us with something? We sing an old song. He's never failed me yet. He's never failed me yet. God has never failed you. He may have done things that you didn't comprehend or understand, but trust me, he has never or he will never fail you. But we tend to think he does because it doesn't happen in the way we want it. We want our quarter. Instead, God has a $20 bill for us. Let's kind of finish this by looking at Genesis 18. Because now we get to the question. Now, God, through all these years and all this time, listen, sometimes we want God to ask the question quick, and he doesn't always. It takes some time. It takes some, some, some moments. But we're finally here in Genesis 18. This is basically the context. What we see is, is the Lord has appeared in angelic form. There's three people, some, some theologians, which I think is really cool, speculate that these three guys was actually God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in angelic form showing up to Abraham. Which, which do we know for sure? No. We do know that, that basically it says Lord, so we do know this is more than an angel. Do we know it's all three? I don't know, but man, I think it'd be awesome if it was. So, John, so, so God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit go to visit Abraham in this major moment in time. And so they come and they, they begin to talk with him. And here's where we kind of pick up the story. It says, where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed, we, we laugh again, laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? And verse 14, is fun. We're, we're finally here. God asks the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? There have been times in my life where it is literally, hear me here, it has taken years to get me ready to hear the question of God. But listen, 
when the time is right, the question will come. And when the question comes, it won't be your answer that will suffice. You see, what's great about God is God, when he asks a question to bring you to a new level of trust and faith in him, God will answer the question. And there'll be no doubt. There'll be no doubt. But it takes time to get there. Why is that so hard for us? Why is it so difficult for us to understand that we don't need a quarter? We need what God really has for us. I think it's simple and it's in your notes. For many of us, the enemy of belief is delay. Why did Sarah and Abraham, after they were doing so good, everything was going great, why did they have to have the mess up? Why? Simple. Delay. It didn't happen the way they thought it would happen, and it especially didn't happen when they thought it should happen. Why? They were too old. It was too late. God had already missed his opportunity. Listen, hear me here. If you're still breathing, your opportunity is not lost. If you're still on this rock, there is still time for God to accomplish in you and through you what he's called you to be and do. But sometimes it's hard when there's that delay. It's difficult. We all sometimes deal with it. But can I, can I just be honest with you? Can I help you understand something? Hear me here. God uses delay. If you think that somehow you'll miss out on this idea or this thought, I'm sorry to tell you, every person on this planet is going to deal with the delay of God. Later on, we're going to look at it, we're going to call it the divine delay, but that's exactly what it is. We all deal with it. We all experience it. We look at John 11. In John 11, we see this great story of, of Lazarus, who, who Jesus loved, and, and we're going to jump around a little bit, but, but here's the situation. Jesus isn't there, and they, the two sisters, Mary and Martha, they send a message to Jesus, tell him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. It's talking about Lazarus. He's sick. He's sick. Mary and Martha have seen Jesus heal before. They've seen him do amazing things. But listen to what Jesus does, starting with verse 6. So although, I love this, although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, could we please stop there for a second? We're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But we tend to, in the delay, we tend to question that statement. It's like John, as he's writing this, is saying, listen, I know that you're going to deal with this for the rest of your life through the Spirit. The Spirit's helping him understand that. But listen, even though this happened, Jesus still loves them. Because he didn't want you to me to go, well, obviously Jesus didn't really like them very much. Obviously Jesus didn't love them very much. No, we're told here that Jesus loves them a lot. This is a dear friend. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back. He stays two days. Well, guess what happens? We all, most of us know the story. Lazarus dies. Let's pick it up in John 11, 17, and we'll jump to verse 21. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told, listen, that Lazarus had already been in his grave for two days. Excuse me, four days, four days. My head was already starting to think because one of the things that certain people believe, they don't know for sure, you know, but they're trying to figure things out a little bit. They thought maybe where Jesus was at to Bethany was maybe about a two-day journey. And Jesus stays for two days doing the math. Jesus does this on purpose, obviously. So he gets there. When he finally gets there, Lazarus has been dead. 
Now listen to what Martha says. And I want you to stop. And I, I, I know this is hard sometimes to do, but we need to do this. I want you to take out Martha's name, and I want you to put your own in. Listen to what Martha says, or sometimes what we say, when there's that delay. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you just did it the way I think it should be done, then it wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had just allowed me to marry this person instead of this person, it wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had just allowed me to go to this school instead of this school, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you had just done things that I told you to do, this wouldn't happen. If you just did the things when I wanted, how I wanted, when I wanted, this wouldn't have happened. How many times have we done that? And typically, it happens because there's a delay. It didn't go the way we think it should. You see, but we got to understand this. God uses delay so that we will begin to trust and believe him for the impossible. What happens? We all hopefully know the story. Jesus goes to the tomb. He speaks to the tomb, and Lazarus comes forth. And because of his delay, we have a story that has literally changed thousands, if not millions, of lives for Jesus. But sometimes it's hard. So to close all this out, I want to give you four, quickly, four simple responses that you can have when you are facing a divine delay. Four responses. There may be more, but I think this pretty much encapsulates in some ways our responses. Number one, you can disable God. Do you know that? Do you know that you can disable God? Look in Mark 6. In Mark 6, starting with verses 1 through 3, this is what it says. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and all the power to form such miracles? Now listen to what they say. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live here right among us. They were deeply offended and refused to what? Believe in him. Who does he think he is? He's just a simple guy. We don't... I, they were offended by him. And look at the response. Look at the response of Jesus in Mark 6, 5 through 6. This is what he says. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And look, verse 6, and he was amazed by their unbelief. Amazed. Listen, I want to amaze Jesus, but not for this. Their belief was so great that it disabled Jesus from doing more. Yes, did Jesus accomplish what he needed to accomplish? Absolutely. But it disabled him. Listen, when we have that idea of, of disabling God in our own life, we will miss out on some of the amazing things that God wants to do in us and through us. When we begin to look at it and say, listen, God can't do it. He's just, he's just a carpenter. He can't do the impossible. He can't handle this. It's too big. It's too hard. In those moments, we disable. So you can disable God. Number two. Number two. You can disconnect. Or discount God, excuse me. 
You can discount God. You can discount God. You can look at him and say, you know what? This is too much. This is too big. God, you can't do what you promised. Abraham and Sarah, when you really begin to think about it, that's kind of what they did when it came to the mistake they made in chapter 16. They basically say, you know what? This, this isn't going to happen. This, this, this isn't going to take place. They, they begin to say, God, you can't handle it. Your promise is even too big for yourself to do it. What a scary place to be when we discount God. But listen, hear me. Look at Numbers 23. In Numbers 23, 19, this is what it says. God is not a man, so he does not lie. What's that mean? God promises it, he'll do it. And this is what it continues to say. He is not a human, so he does not change his mind. And there, once again, here we have a question. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Don't discount God. And listen, here, one of the things that, that I feel like I've kind of looked at recently, and, and I, 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 I kind of wanted to, to bring it up right here, because I think when we do this, we tend to discount God a bit. But, but it's this concept of, of, of worry. This concept of worry. And, and I began to kind of look. It's like, well, what is worry? And what did all this come from? And all these things. And so I kind of was looking and I found some, some information about worry. And, and there's some people that, that they really believe that, that worry is, is, is there's kind of a, a way to kind of visualize it. Okay? And so there's, there's a point here. Let's, let's say where, where this, this speaker is. I don't know if you can see that online, but there's a speaker here. Is, this is where we are. Okay, And no matter what it is, this is maybe where we're going. Maybe it's a situation where we're traveling someplace, or, or maybe it's something greater, like something God's called us to do. Whatever it is. And so there is the start, and then there's the end. For us as Christians, the start is maybe when we accept Jesus, and the end is when he calls us home. If you want to look at it that broadly, go right ahead. But here's the thing. In the middle here is what they have called the unknown gap. The unknown gap. Now, when we worry, what we do is we begin to put worst-case scenarios or bad situations in our gap. Let me give you an example. Let's say I want to leave church and go have someone take me to lunch. And so that's the plan. I'm here at church, and I want to go to lunch. And so I'm going to hope that someone, we're going to go to lunch together after service. And so instead of going, hey, I can't wait for lunch or whatever, I start to go, well, what happens if I fall down and break my leg before, before I'm finished speaking this morning? What if, what if I get in my car and, and my tires are flat? What if I get in my car and, and, and the engine blows up? Or I get into a car wreck? I, I never am going to get here. That's what worry does. And it sounds silly, but that's what we do. During this time in my life, I'm going to get you a little bit of an insight into me right now. God has been trying to work on me because I, I love my family. I love them very, very much. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I love you, Mom. I, very, very much. But, but we, we're, we're worry warts, okay? I come, I come from a family of worry warts at times. And I tend to worry. I tend to go, I put those things in my gap. What if this doesn't go right? Or what if that doesn't go right? 
And God has been challenging me with something throughout this entire season that we've been experiencing. And I'm challenging you with the same thing. It may be time to, instead of putting those things in our gap, we need to put Jesus in our gap. You say, Aaron, how do I put Jesus in my gap? Simple. No matter what happens from here to here, Jesus has got it. He's got me. I can trust him. And if he says I'm going to get to this location, I'm getting to that location. You think about the story of Jesus in the storm. What does he tell to his disciples? We're on this shore. We're going to that shore. But a storm came up. The waves came up. They're worried. What's Jesus doing? Sleeping in the boat. Jesus gets up, calms it all. He says, why did you have such little faith? I'll tell you why. It's real simple. They put the unknown, they put the storm, they put the worst case scenario in their unknown gap instead of putting Jesus in it, and Jesus was in their boat. Folks, if we've accepted Jesus, guess where Jesus is? He's in our boat. It's time to stop putting the fear. It's time to start putting the worry in our unknown gap because we know that Jesus has got us. Put him in the gap. Don't discount him. Know he can do it. If he promised it, he'll do it. Number three, you can disown God. You can disown God. I put this in our notes because I just feel like this is so true. I really believe there's a crisis of quitting in our culture today. There is a crisis of quitting. And so when things don't go the way we want or the way we think they should, we're out. When my spouse doesn't love me the way I think they should or this happens or that happens, I'm out. When it doesn't work at a church or a job, or, or a, I'm out. You mean it's hard? Yeah, it's hard sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes in those moments where God, quite honestly, is there's that delay and we don't understand. A lot of times I've seen it over and over and over again. People say, you know what, God, I'm done. You can disown him. You can say, God, you failed me. But he hasn't. Look what it says in Galatians 6, 9. I love this verse. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. I've talked about this before. My wife has a garden. And you know what? You don't, you don't plant it this, this morning and pluck it in the evening. It takes time. It takes time. I put this in your notes. Listen, hear me here. There is never a harvest without a delay. Never. There is never a harvest without a delay. But listen to what this verse just told us. If we don't give up, there will be a harvest. But don't give up. Don't quit. Don't allow your delay to keep you from understanding. And the final thing, the final thing, you can also discover God. You can also discover him. Yeah, you can, you can disable him. You can discount him. You can even disown him. Or you can discover him. You see, what I have found in my own life is in those moments of delay, when I begin to seek God, I am transformed by him in the delay. 
I if, when it comes, listen, why do we talk about this idea of harvest and why does it take time? Because there's a process that has to take place. It's a process as a gardener that, yeah, you can water and, yeah, you can get fertilizer and, yeah, you can get the right type of soil. But you know what? At some point, you got to take your hands off of it and let God do what only God can do, and that's make that seed grow. I'm getting ready. It's getting close. Those tomatoes are getting, oh, Linda, they're almost ready. I'm ready for the harvest, but it's not here yet. And if I pluck it too early, guess what I got? I got a, a, a green tomato. It's not ready. But as I take those moments and I discover God, he begins to birth new things. He begins to do new things. Listen, this is important. It's in your notes. So the last thing we need to catch, we are always, I want always transformed when we spend time trusting and believing God when it looks like he isn't coming through at It's, hear me, it's easy when, it's, when, when, you're, when you're sitting, let's go, this will make sense, when you're sitting back at the table and you got your red tomatoes in front of you. It's easy to invite God to that meal, discover him in that moment. It's hard when you're looking at your backyard and you're going, will they ever come? God, will you ever do what you promised? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to close. This is, again, one of those things that, that is, it's hard to do in the midst of difficult situations. It's, it's tough to believe at times. It's tough. It's easy to believe when it, you see it and it's happening. When you say, God, I want this to take place, or I believe this should take place, and man, it's just bam, 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 bam. And you know what? Sometimes that does happen. What is hard is when it doesn't come when you think it should or in the way that you think it should. That's where it takes some toughness to believe. That's where it takes the ability to say, you know what? God, I'm going to discover more about who you are, your promises for me, your love for me, your, your, the grace, your, your faithfulness. I'm going to find all these things even though at this particular moment it doesn't feel like you're doing anything to bring forth this promise. That's hard. But you know what? Jesus hanging on the cross trusted his Father. Right before Jesus died, he basically says, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. In the garden, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said, you know, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, Father, but it's not what I want, it's what you want. And Jesus trusted. And listen, hear me. Because Jesus trusted, even in that hard moment, we can trust him too. We can know that what God has promised, God will do. What God, now, now he may do it in a different way in a different time, but God is faithful. Can you do me a favor? Let's, 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 let's let the Spirit speak to us. So let's, let's allow ourselves to just 
close our eyes for a second and just focus. Maybe there's something that God has spoken to you, a promise. And, and, and that promise has, has been a long time coming. I'm here to encourage you this morning. God has not forgotten you. And yes, God is working in a delay right now. And let's be honest, we don't like delays. But you have a choice to make. And I'm encouraging you, and I believe God is drawing you to himself right now to allow you to discover more about who he is. So that you can have that trust belief level raised to a higher level than you've ever thought before. That, that is an amazing thing. I would dare say that is just as good as the promise that he will bring forth. It's not just about the promise, folks. It's about the journey to the promise that transforms us into more, being more like Jesus. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. You may be going through a difficult time or not, but trust me on this one. It is time to be tough enough to believe for whatever God's promised. And you say, Aaron, God hasn't promised me anything. Yes, he has. He's promised that he'd never leave you and he'd never forsake you. He promised that if you come to him, he will give you rest. He's promised you so many things. I could be here till dinner time talking about God's promises. And we need to believe them again. We need to hold them tight again. We need to, to, listen, hear me here. We need to look at our world and our culture and the things we're experiencing and the things we're seeing. And you know what we need to do? We need to stop cowering in fear or cowering in worry. And we need to start putting Jesus and those promises up against it. And saying, look, I, I know I could feel this way. I know I could deal with this. But you know what? I'm not going to put those things in my gap anymore. I'm going to put Jesus and his promises in my gap. And I'm going to cling to those. I'm going to cling to the word. I'm going to cling to his love. I'm going to cling to his provision. I'm going to cling to his plan. And I'm going to hold on to those things even in the midst of the difficult moment. Even in the midst of the divine delay. And I'm going to allow that to be what transforms me into the presence of God. That's what we need. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what your circumstance is, it's time to believe again. So, Father, we come to you as a group. We come to you as a family. And, Father, maybe there are individuals here right now that are going through those moments of difficulty. They, they, they have a promise. Maybe it was a promise from 10 years ago or 5 years or, or last week. It doesn't matter how long it was. When you promise something, you'll bring it about. But, God, in that delay, it's hard. And God, you want to bring forth that question to all of us. You're not just asking Abraham and Sarah that question this morning. You're asking all of us, is there anything too hard for God? The answer is obvious. There is nothing too hard for you. So even though there's a delay, your promise is still true. And so this morning, Father, as a family, those are here with us and online... I pray that we would cling to you. Cling to your promise. Cling to the truth that you have us and you will not let us go. You're so good. You're so good. Let's all stand.
I'm going to have John and the worship team lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. promise of your faithfulness we claim the promise of your provision we claim the promise of your love and of your grace and of your peace and of your joy these are all ours through Christ Jesus and we claim them we hold them we believe and have hope in them and in you you're so good you're so good listen I'm going to go down here and I'm going to be to my left, your right. We're going to go ahead and close the service. But if you need prayer and you want somebody to agree with you in, in the moment that you're facing, I'll be down there to pray with you and to agree with you. If not, love you. Hope you have a wonderful week. But I want to be down there in case there's those that, that want some one-on-one some, some -on -one prayer time, okay? But let's listen. Let's put Jesus in our gap again, okay? Let's do that and let him do what only he can do. All right? So, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to come. God, take us to a new level in belief, a new level of faith, a new level of trust. And however you choose to do that, God, we open our arms and accept it, knowing that your plan is good because you're good. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hope you have a wonderful week. If you need prayer, I'll be down front. Have a great week.